I remember when I fired my first client and I was just like, your perception of what I'm supposed to be delivering you for this amount of money is so completely different than A, my capacity, but B, like what I thought we agreed on. And so for that reason, (laughs) for that reason, I'm out. Hey, Magic Makers, Kelsey Foremost here, founder of Magic Words Copywriting and the host of Find Your Magic, the podcast where mental health and entrepreneurship meet. Now, y'all know I'm a copywriting expert and a marketing educator. The bulk of my business now is teaching non-writers how to write their own high-converting copy. But I started out as a freelance copywriter and I wrote copy for probably about a hundred businesses in the couple of years that I was on my own, just doing one-to-one work. And while I was a freelancer, I ran into an extremely common problem and it is the topic of the bulk of our conversation today. And that topic... (sighs) It's super awkward. It's super uncomfy. I think we've all been there if you've been in business long enough. Um, And that topic is problematic clients and sometimes having to fire them. It is so anxiety producing, especially if you struggle with people pleasing at all. Uh, or in my case, recovering from codependency, it's it's tough. And even if you're not, even if you're a super grounded, strong person, firing clients sucks. It sucks. So here's how we got to that topic. A um, couple of weeks ago, a former student of copy class, actually, no one's ever a former student, just a student of copy class, because once you have it, you're in for life. A student of copy class messaged me on Instagram and she was like, Kelsey, you talk about copy and mental health. And I found this other copywriter. You guys would be such good friends. Her name is Brittany McBean. You got to talk to her, Um, maybe even have her on your podcast. So I looked at Brittany's Instagram and immediately was like, yep, check, check. Absolutely. Definitely need to be friends with this person messaged her. And within a couple of minutes, she had booked a time to come on the podcast. Brittany is also a copywriter. I love supporting other copywriters, especially women copywriters. Brittany mainly supports um, copywriters who, like she's a copywriter who supports copywriters. So copywriters will actually work with her to build a copywriting business. If you are a copywriter or looking to become one, definitely check her out. She also does one-on-one work, but it was so great to talk about the power and importance of clarity and copy with someone who just freaking gets it. Um, And also to talk about the very real challenge of the mental health side of running a business and being really transparent about like the emotional breakdowns that have happened after having to not just break up with clients, but like recover from the negative stories that start to play in your head when you come across someone who doesn't value you. And to be just super clear, what I mean by problematic clients is someone who doesn't respect your time, doesn't respect um, 
your bandwidth, uh, who's very demanding beyond the scope of work that you agreed upon, someone who doesn't respect your boundaries, maybe someone who's messaging you outside of work hours and expecting a response. It's one of those things where like, even if, okay, copywriting, like having really good copy that very clearly states who you are, who you help and how you help them immediately is going to weed out a lot of people who aren't a great fit for you. Even if you are super clear about who you are, what you do, who you help and how you help them, even if you're super clear about that, it is pretty much inevitable that at some point in your life as an entrepreneur, you are going to run into this situation. In fact, if you've already run into this situation, DM me on Instagram because I am really fired up about this and really would like to know how people successfully navigate this. Um, I'll probably do another episode about it. I may even share your stories. So if this has ever happened to you, DM me on Instagram at kelsey.writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. I'm really, truly curious about what has happened to you, how you dealt with it, what you wish you'd done differently. But in the meantime, please enjoy this amazing conversation with Brittany McBean. She shares so many incredible tools and strategies on how to avoid taking on a problematic client in the first place, like making terms and conditions super clear, onboarding uh, packets, um, contracts. That was something I wish I'd had when I started out really clear contracts. Um, there's just so much good stuff in this conversation. So I will let her talk now. Um, and also sidebar, she's a fellow musical theater nerd. So this conversation is going to start with, um, with some musical theater nerd chat. So, uh, you know, gird your loins. All right, everybody, please enjoy this conversation with copywriter, Brittany McBean. Well, I'm pissed that I didn't hit record when we were talking earlier because, damn, we have weirdly parallel lives. <laughs> Brittany, my fellow former musical theater nerd, or are we ever former musical theater nerds? I feel like, oh, we're born that way. We'll do it that way. What was your musical theater like awakening? Like, what was the first time you ever really remember Ooh. being like, oh, I want to... Like, this is fun. I want to do this. Oh, that's a good question. Okay. I think it was, I was a bit of a late bloomer. I think it was middle school. I think eighth grade. Uh-huh. I took a field trip to New York City. I grew oh up in Maryland, God. so it wasn't super, super far. And I have no idea why I thought that this was appropriate for eighth graders, but they took us to see Rent. Yes. I feel like Rent was everyone's gateway drug who was, it was born it in was. the 80s. And of course, like, I didn't understand it at all. I was like, why are they all on a sheet? What's happening? Why is Angel? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, AIDS and orgies. And yeah. I, anyway, I, th- I think that was, I think that was it. I was like, I have seen the light. I also was a dancer so it was and a singer so then it was kind of this like oh wait I could get more attention if I did both <laughs> together in a costume in a story so it was kind of I was hooked <laughs> honest you are like oh I can get more attention that is so funny oh my god I remember so I was in this like prestigious community theater like youth theater group you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um 
fun fact that I don't think I've told on the pod. I don't think I've told this story on the pod that Adam Lambert was my first kiss. He w- we were in the same uh, prestigious junior theater group oh in gosh. San Diego. Oh my gosh. We all know how that turned out. So, oh my goodness. <laughs> but I remember doing like a showcase show and singing. Um, oh my God. What's the song? The rent song every single day. I walk down the street. Um, uh, the one Mimi sings, um, yeah. no, not Mimi. Um, no. Maureen. Maybe so sweet. So sweet. <laughs> take, take me or leave me. Take me or leave not me. There. there it is. We got there. We got there. There it is. Oh man. Uh, yeah. For like a pre-show, like a cabaret talent showcase thing. Uh And I was uh definitely like 12 years old. Absolutely should not have been singing that. So inappropriate. So inappropriate. Well, I did a a, um, community theater production. See, I, I, so I grew up in Annapolis, which was kind of like smack dab in the middle between Baltimore and DC. So I would do community theater in either direction in high school. Like once I could drive myself, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, I am so like, oh, these are such, these are such a good musical. Like community, (laughs) like it's, I'm not getting paid, but like I'm in like community theater with like 20 year olds. And right. I thought it was like (laughs) impressive. I'll just make sure. I'm like, why are they? Anyway. I feel this so deep in my soul. You have no idea. Um, a lot of like Jimmy world, like in my Saturn station wagon on the way up, you know, these these drives to Baltimore, but I was in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar as a senior in high school. Of course. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, of course, like a lot of times they'll ask you to bring in your own costumes or whatever, like, and (laughs) I provided my own. This is, I, I, I have a four-year-old. I would never, like, never. I don't care if she's like 32. I was asked to provide my own and wear my own lingerie as a 17-year-old. I was not even legal because oh. there's like, in, in, in Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, it's yeah. pretty, pretty edgy. Jen. I have I have memories. I'm like, what the fuck are my parents thinking? Like my grandparents were there. And like this was not like like wasn't like a toned down version. Cause that's the thing. Like when you're no. in high school and you have those, like, yeah, like you said, like you're in it with college kids or you know, it might not be full on adult professional actors, but it's like kids who are taking this seriously and want to yeah. do this. Oh, there were adults. Job. Like it was absolutely like I was one of the youngest people. There were absolutely like 30 year olds in there. And they're like, how do you feel about this? Like black lacy underwear. I was like, oh my God, yeah. I feel great. I'm an adult. This is amazing. What it's what, like, it, I always, I, I'm always like half really excited and proud when I see like the high school is going to do cabaret or something like that. And I'm like, good for them, like sexual awakening. Awesome. And then I'm like, these are minors. (laughs) This is problematic. There's a such thing as too early. We can be sex positive. There's a such thing as too early to have our sexual awakening. Yeah. Well, in front of other people. Is really the thing. Yes. Like, you yes. know, somebody's dad's in the audience. Anyway, yeah. a performative sexual awakening is a little bit different than like, let's really claim her. <laughs> totally. Well, okay. So this is a very fun jumping off point to talk about copywriting because as Why you heard not? in the introduction, you guys, Brittany is also a fellow copywriter and uh, 
we had a really, I guess, similar arrival at how we got here. But for me, it was like the piece. So I was a professional actor for 10 years. And then I made a switch into writing that took about a year to like fully transition to admit that I no longer wanted to be an actor was a thing in and of itself. And then take on I feel like when you're a creative person, it's like your career is also, it's very identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's rooted in identity as well as work, which can be awesome, but it can also be, you know, problematic because yeah. if your business isn't quote unquote successful, then it feels like you yourself are not quote unquote successful. Right. But for me, and then I really want to hear your experience and how you made the transition into writing as a career. Um, for me, it was like, oh, the thing that I loved about performing and the thing that I loved about acting was when people would reflect back to me, oh my gosh, I feel seen like watching Mm. this performance or hearing this song, like makes me feel not alone. And then there Mm. was something about copywriting where it was like, you get to the nitty gritty of what makes people feel seen and heard both the business owner for whom you are writing, but also for the audience who is reading that copy. Like the best copy is the one where people are like, oh my God, it's like you're in my head. Oh my God, I felt exactly like that. So that's my little spiel, but I want to hear now your story. How did you transition? Like what was your journey to copywriting? Yeah, very, very nonlinear, I think as as most people's are. I think the, the story that you hear is either like, I was in marketing at an agency, wanted to like go freelance or it's just like, blah, 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 you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Obviously this is an audio medium. So like, congratulations for everyone listening to the podcast. I literally just waved my arms around like an idiot. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's this very like nonlinear squiggly line. And it was kind of like that for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was doing musical theater and acting professionally and just kind of working around the country. Cause as you know, when you're, when you're acting, you just audition and go wherever the contracts are. And usually that's just like, Playhouse. It is not cute, you guys. It is not glamorous. Like, I am so embarrassed thinking about some of the auditions that I like really cared about and really prepared for. Yeah. Were you the one talking about Winnie the Pooh? No, but okay. Have I done some children's theater? (laughs) Have I done some? Have I toured around the country in a pedophile's van doing children's theater? Yes, is the answer to that question. Um, yeah. And like being so excited for like a contract that's like, Hey, you can live in a rundown house in Pennsylvania for $250 a week and you'll rehearse for eight hours a day and then do, you know, shows at night. So you have these 13 hour days and you're like, I've made it like, yeah. Like people would I'm getting equity points for that contract. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm like EMC. Like I've got like a title role or a starring role. Like I have a name. Like I'm not just background dancer number two. Like people oh would God. kill for this. Right. So real. Um, it's a very, it's a very weird, weird world. Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, the thing that got me out of it, I was getting ready to move to New York City and just kind of like live in the hub instead of just always driving up there to audition. And I ended up moving to where I live now in Richmond, Virginia, just because I was dating someone I thought I was going to marry. And then that very, very, very quickly ended, which was a really good thing. Mm. Then I just stayed here and was working full time for a theater here in the um, uh, education department, like running their education department and acting. And and I really, really loved it, but also 
it was a really bad work environment and really awful. And yeah. I met my husband and um, ended up quitting and nannying just because I was like, this is just anything's better than this. And um, I mean, it was just a weird, it was like a weird, like mid twenties, like I'm going to nanny and do that full time. And then I kind of went into sales for a little bit and then um, went into like social media for a little bit. And and then I started to like do freelance. And um, when I started, I started I was like, I'm going to be a social media coach. That's the thing that people do. I'm just going to do social media coaching. And, and I started calling myself a social media coach, which I, I think is kind of wildly irresponsible because I didn't really even know what that meant. But but like I had a couple of clients and I was like giving them strategy. And and but what I found myself caring about a lot was like the messaging and like what they were saying. And, and I ended up having a client who once I looked at her whole funnel and her website, I was like, Hey, this is really bad. I didn't say this to her, but I was like, this is really bad. I think I could do better. And one of my really good friends that I had connected with through like the whole like Instagram, whatever world was a copywriter. And I just said to her like, Hey, I really want to take on this project, but I've also never been a copywriter before. Can I hire you to kind of like mentor me through this project, check my work so that I'm being responsible with this client's project. I'm not just like taking her money, but I'm also like figure like I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of my first project and um, it went really well. And I started getting just some more like copywriting education and finding myself in copywriting communities and um, just kind of figuring out what that, what that meant and then started calling myself a copywriter and getting more of those, those clients. And um, three years later, I have a micro agency and like one part of the business we serve um, one-on-one clients and I'm a launch and funnel strategist and copywriter. And I have a micro agency is just me and a um, one employee. And then um, the other arm of the business is I coach um, copywriters who want to build a premium copywriting business. And then I just have a couple like accessible resources for people who are either trying to grow an online business or grow a copywriting business. So that's I love I that. I love that so much. And thank you for being so um, transparent about the journey there. And like, I think we often skip over those, those stories where it's like, I didn't fucking know. Like when I first was like, sure, I'll write your emails. I'll like, I'll, I'll, you have to do something for the first time. Yeah. You have to do something for the first time. Like you, you can't not. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I, you know, thank God I had also a friend who was already a copywriter who could sort of guide me. And I learned really quickly and took a lot of classes and stuff, but like the, the first time you do anything, it feels very unsettling. Like Mm -hmm. there's, um, I actually, I'm a bit of a psychology nerd. Y'all know, like mental health is a huge, huge passion of mine. And I remember learning about, um, I forget the actual name of the scale, but it's like unconscious, like you don't know what you don't know, like Mm -hmm. you're blissfully ignorant. And then there's this stage of conscious incompetence is Mm -hmm. what it's called. When you are aware that you don't know how to do the thing. It's like the world expands and you're like, I'm an idiot. There's no way I could ever possibly do this. Yeah. Or you're in the middle, like you're at the beginning and middle of learning and you're like, I just want to be done learning this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's like conscious competence where you can do it, but you have to think about it Mm -hmm. while you do it. And then there's um, unconscious competence where you no longer have to think about it. It just flows. You learn all this stuff so that you can forget it. Exactly. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that was 
that is so many people's journey through learning how to write copy, whether you're an entrepreneur who's writing your own or you're a copywriter doing it professionally. We very rarely talk about conscious incompetence, (laughs) which is a really shitty place to be. It's a horrible feeling, even if you want to learn, like even if you Mm -hmm. actively want to learn. So thank you for being transparent about your journey there. It's a completely unavoidable place. I think that's what I see a lot. Is it like a lot of, I mean, I, I work with copywriters, but I'm sure this is just across the board. And and maybe it is because like a lot of us have a traditional or, or a, like an idea that there should, because we have this traditional education route of like, we go to college, we learn this thing. We're qualified to do this thing. We get out of college. We have a resume that says I'm qualified to do this thing. We apply to a job. Someone says, yep, you're qualified to do this thing. You can do this job. And then we have on the job training. Right. So it's like, that's how it should be. Like, all right, I need to go to copywriting college. And then I need to get that check mark that says I'm qualified, but like, that's not really a thing. Like, I mean, yes, there's like marketing and journalism and communications, but like the way a lot of us find it, like you're not you're not going to get a traditional degree, yeah, right? Exactly. So like, it's unavoidable. Like you're going to, you have to have a first client. You yeah. have to have a first sales page or first email or first website or first funnel. Like it is yeah. unavoidable. So, and I love this quote. I think it was Glennon Doyle. She was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was supposed to know everything by my second rodeo. And <laughs> I just, I loved that so much because it was like, yeah, you have to have your first, all of those things, but you also have to have like your first 10th. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to, like, it's, it takes, like, it gets better and better every time. And you learn your voice more and more every time. And you also learn what kinds of clients you want to work Mm -hmm. with and who you want to help. Like, and the only way to do that is trial and error and like trying different hats on. But you mentioned, um, you had a client who was super problematic at one point that actually ended up being an incredibly good thing because it showed you ways that you weren't holding boundaries with clients and ways that you weren't protecting yourself. And that's something that I think is really, really important to talk about no matter who is listening and what business you're in. Like, I promise you at some point, you're going to come across a client who takes advantage of you, whether it is on purpose or not. So if you wouldn't mind, I would love to hear your story of that client and like to whatever degree you're comfortable and what you learned from it. Cause I think that that's a super valuable. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a soapbox in my office, just titled boundaries. Like I'm happy to like (laughs) pull it over, step on it. This is a place where I'm very comfortable. Um, I mean, right. I feel I've built an entire business that like we, we turn out like top tier quality copy and experience because of structure systems and boundaries. Like it is a non-negotiable. It's not weird. It's not awkward. It's not um, uncomfortable. Like this is a, a standard, a given, a whatever it, mm-hmm. it is. 
it is what defines the work that we do. And it is why our clients are so happy. It is why we have a wait list. It is why I'm able to charge $25,000 for a project. And, and I don't have objections on a sales call. And that's not a problem for our clients. So they're very, very happy with that. And it's why I'm able to turn around and teach that to other copywriters. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, but it's, it's because it's not boundaries are not an uncomfortable thing around here. They are given. And, and I recently had a client who, who I absolutely adore. She's an incredible human. And she herself was struggling with, admittedly, she, she had told me that she was struggling with some boundaries in her own program. And she was like, but how do I, like, isn't that, she basically just wanted to be radically generous. Those were her words. And she was like, how do I, like, isn't it really, um, uh, like disingenuous to, you know, have this marketing and this brand that is so generous. And then as soon as they come in, immediately sell these boundaries. And I was like, whoa, that is a bad definition of boundaries. Yeah. Like that is, that is a different vocabulary word. That is a, that is a wrong definition. That is a different word because what boundaries are, are the guardrails and the guidelines that set everyone up for success, right? Like they are, communicating early and often and in writing and clearly what needs to happen in order for everyone to get out of this experience of this project, what it is that they want. So the first client that I had, the one that I asked my friend to kind of mentor me through, um, she was not likely a particularly healthy person. I'm not a particularly healthy person, just like <laughs> in life, um, highly medicated. Um, so I, I'm store, store-bought health and serotonin, um, but <laughs> which is still serotonin, you know, oh, Cheers. oh I, will, normalize, I will, we I will normalize that around here at this corner yeah. of the internet. No, no, we there's celebrate. no shame. There's no, like, I'll probably never be off of it. I'm a big fan of like, I would like to normalize it, but I would also not like to glorify it. Like we, we need to treat it. We're going yes. to, we're going to address it. We're going to get prescriptions if necessary. Um, and me and my meds are good friends, but at this point <laughs> I wasn't on my meds. I also, um, I do have ADHD and I didn't get that prescription until, um, Mm, I think it was last year. And, but without that, um, or sorry, prescription, I didn't get that diagnosis. I do have a prescription sure. for it. I didn't get that diagnosis until last year, but without that, I didn't understand I'm going somewhere, but you can tell my ADHD. No, I got you. I'm with you. I, um, I completely track this because <laughs> I think that a lot of creative minds work the same way where mm -hmm. it's the gears are turning and we totally understand how physical yeah. the experiences to think. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I'm totally with you. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that like ADHD does make me highly intelligent, which I never yes. really understood. And it's it does make me really creative and it does make me really strategic. And it does make me, um, a really critical thinker and problem solver. I never understood these things. I always thought as a really stupid person, like I felt very insecure for most of my life, but it does not make me organized. It does not make me structured. It does not make me understand how long things actually take. It does not make me a particularly clear communicator when I'm just like communicating on the fly. Like I over explain, I over talk. Right. And so I didn't have support, like a team support at this time. It was just me. Um, not everyone needs a team. I do because my brain has, or my, my skill set has actual holes in it that I need filled with someone who has these. So anyway, um, I didn't have that awareness about myself. I didn't have team support who could kind of like 
fill in these deficiencies. And so I was working with this client who um, had really high expectations and side note, let's put a little asterisk in a footnote. If you're someone who is charging lower prices, I need you to understand the clients that pay the least, this is not about um, your work. (laughs) I'm certainly not going to trash anyone's budget. We all have to start where we start. And the clients who pay the least will always expect the most because they don't understand the value of what they do and they don't understand the whole piece. When you pay a premium, you're now working with clients who actually understand what it is that's going into your work. That's why they're hiring an expert. That's why they're not doing it themselves. And that's why they're paying a premium. So the clients who have the budget to pay the least and, and sometimes the clients who are looking to save a penny by paying the lowest amount truly do expect the most out of you. And so this was one of those clients where there was a lot of things that they wanted out of scope. And what happened was she was asking for a lot of extra things Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how to set any of those boundaries. I didn't really know how to stick to a project plan and stick to my own timeline. So I was feeling really guilty and ashamed. So I was Mm -hmm. like not hitting deadlines, but then she would ask for something extra. And I was like, well, I can't say no, because I didn't do this. But then I also oh, that didn't have for tat moment. Yeah. That's such mm-hmm. a, that's mm-hmm. so real where you're like, well, I didn't hit this deadline. So I can't say no. Yeah. Yep. All that's- I was set a boundary is yesterday. The next best time is right now. Right. But like, it was always like, well, I didn't do that before. So I got to keep doing this. And then I also would go back to my contract and be like, I didn't like one, one of the things was like, I wrote like, um, we'll write all funnel pages or whatever. Well, this client thought that funnel pages meant literally every page ever on a website. Mm. But I never specified your webinar registration landing page, your thank you page, your checkout page. So she came back to me and was like, you owe me five more web pages. And I was like, fuck you, I absolutely do not. And (laughs) then I ended up writing them for her, right? So anyway, that was a very, very, very upsetting experience. It was supposed to be nine weeks. It lasted six months. It really sent me down a tailspin. It really affected me and my family. It really like my anxiety went through the roof. I mean, it like really, really, really affected me in a really negative way. Um, I did hire an OBM after that. It's the person who's now my integrator. They have been with me for like three years. And I basically was like, this was this project. This was everything that went wrong how do we fix this? And she was like, we're going to get a new contract and we're going to do this and we're going to change this. And, um, and what that is translated to, I mean, we have optimized our process every single client. I mean, like we've served yeah. over like s- almost 80 clients in three years. And every time we're like, Ooh, we didn't clearly communicate this. Ooh, we didn't do this. Ooh, we realized yeah. this. And so, you know, now like even in our onboarding process, like every single thing is in the contract and our scope is defined like to the minute, to the letter, like not necessarily like how many words you're getting in a, in a, um, copy asset, but like exactly what you're right. Exactly what you're getting, exactly what deadline, all of that stuff. But also like, if you want an extra round of edits, it's going to be $375 an hour, right. Rather than like, you'll get edits, right. You have one round of edits or like whatever that is, is if you want it, we get exactly four meetings. If you want an extra meeting, it's going to be this, or you get exactly this, or it's going to be this, you know, even on a kickoff call, like I'm telling them like, Hey, we use, these are just like really specific examples, but just like we use HoneyBook as a CRM, please only email us through HoneyBook. If it comes through Gmail, my team won't see it. It will not get responded to. Like this is, this is a boundary. It's a guardrail for our project so that you get out of this project what you want because my team and and I are here to serve you at like an absolute optimal level. 
but these, this is the structure of the project and you have to hit these deadlines that we need from you. You have to do this or we can't do what we do best. Right. Um, I also, I really want to call out that you mentioned having an onboarding process, right? So I did not like in my early days of being a freelance copywriter or, you know, one-to-one work, I didn't separate effectively marketing and like Mm -hmm. landing the client, like Mm. saying yes, like just because you have a contract does not an onboarding experience make. Oh, no, 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 no. And I did not realize that. I thought Mm -hmm. it was marketing, person hires me, signs the contract, and then I do the thing. Boom, off to the races, yeah. Off to the races. And I think that that is an extremely common, um, I think, again, we don't know what we don't know. And having an onboarding experience and really deciding a, how much time you want to spend onboarding clients mm-hmm. um, and B, like what that looks like and what those boundaries look like ahead of time, right? You said it. I love this. The best time to set a boundary is yesterday and the next best is right now. So deciding ahead of time what you want to do is the key to creating and setting up an onboarding process. So what let's, okay. Before we get to looking at what an onboarding process might look like, I do want to finish up about that particular client and how you ended up. Um, did you fire that client? Um, or did you just complete the project finally and be like, see you never? A little, kind of a little bit of both. Actually, so Erica McCauley is my integrator. She's unbelievable. I did bring her on um, at the very tail end of that project. And she just gave me invaluable advice. And honestly, what she gave me was like the courage to do what I needed to do. Like, I just Mm -hmm. didn't feel like I had that permission, but because for me, like, I was like, I let this drag on. I can't now turn around and tell her no, but you can like, just cause it's shocking to them doesn't, but anyway, like the advice that she gave me and what ended up happening was this, the work that she had paid me to complete for, you know, nine weeks, that was now six months into the mix. I basically just said like, I can work on this up until X date. And I think it was like a week out. Like after that, this project is dead. This is what I need from you. This is what I can do between now and then. Like that is the kill dead date after that. Like I have no more availability to do this. And, and I completed, I completed her project. And then we did not speak after that and have not spoken mm-hmm. since. Yeah. Um, she did not have some kind words for me and, and that's, that's okay. okay. That's really hard successful. though. It's really hard. Yeah. I got to say, like, I want to call out that it is not like you just happily make the decision. I'm going to fire this client and you do it. And then they're terrible to you. And you're like, not my problem. And you move on like a well-adjusted little soldier. Oh. That's not how it works. Like, I don't know about you, but I remember when I fired my first client and I was just like, I like your perception of what I'm supposed to be delivering you for this amount of money is so completely different than a, my capacity, but B like what I thought we agreed on. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. for that reason, (laughs) For that reason, I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, yeah, when things go wrong, like we kind of joke that like about once a year we have, and like our 
my inquiry process, my sales call process, like it's really, really, really fine-tuned and most of it is automated, but it is so rare that by the time I get on a sales call with someone that they're not an excellent fit for us. Um, like our proposal acceptance rate is like 98%. Like it's so rare that it's not like we're moving forward, Mm -hmm. but about once a year, we start a project with someone that we end up terminating and maybe giving them a refund or saying, Hey, we're going to end it here or whatever. Um, we kind of joke, like we have a minimum of one a year. It doesn't, it doesn't always happen. It's just a kind of a joke around here, but like mm-hmm. every time that happens, like I'm going to spiral out, I'm going to put on my like sweatpants that are two sizes too big and sit with yeah. my Ben and Jerry's and be like, I should quit. I'm firing everyone. This is the <laughs> end. I'm going to work at Lowe's. That's like my weird like, personal fetish is like, I go to Lowe's and everybody oh, has mine the- is the bookstore. Yes. Mine is that like, I'm going mm-hmm. to beg them to take on a part-time uh, yeah. clerk and then be Meg Ryan in you've got mail. That's... See, we all have our thing. I just want to discount on the power tools. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's really easy to be like, this person said these horrible things about me or my work or my team. And it's never my team. My team's amazing, but like whatever, whatever it is. But then I'm like, but wait a minute, we served 20 clients so far this year that like, yeah. we have amazing testimonials and amazing case studies. And not only was our work excellent, like it, it performed, like the results were incredible. Their students were loving it. Their clients were loving it, but like they loved working with us. They had incredible things to say about working with us. My team has enjoyed working with me. You know what I mean? It's like, you've got to be like, that person's really, really loud. But like, that's just like, when you take your dog to the dog park and they just find that one dog that they can't stop like fighting with, that's all that was like, we were just a bad fit and we couldn't figure that out the first time. You know what I mean? And it's really, really hard not to spiral, but Sometimes you just got to zoom back and be like, hey, I can either be like a really mature person and be like, hey, you're a great person. I'm a great person. We're just not a good fit. Or you can be like, throw them up, be like, fuck you, like burn it all down and walk away. Like whatever version you need to do is fine. You don't need to go like drag someone through the mud, whatever, (laughs) keep it all internal, do whatever you need to do. But like the end of the day, look at, look at the aggregate, like, like look at the larger sample size. and, And I think that that helps, you know? And also processing the emotions like separately from your business, because kind of, I mean, calling back that thing that we said earlier of often our career and our identity are very enmeshed when you are a creative professional, like when you're a writer that your tool is your brain and you can't put your brain down (laughs) and like, yeah, at the end of the workday. So Make sure that you have whatever works for you, that you set yourself up maybe even ahead of time of like, when this happens, this is what is going to make me feel better. And then refining that process. Same, same deal for me. Like if ever I get a comment or a student who like is wants a refund from my class or whatever, my initial thing is just like guilt and wanting to people Mm -hmm. please and like overcompensate and give them all this free stuff or whatever. And now that I know that that's my knee jerk reaction, I'm like, Kelsey, wait three days, wait Mm. three days. And Mm. that's for me what works. And then thank them, send them on their way, like kindly thank them, but be firm, not a fit for us. And then, you know, do whatever you need to do as far as the actual refund or, you know, cut off whatever it is, final deliveries. And then I process that shit with my therapist. 
Because I, I need that. I need that to know that my identity and my capability to help someone is not defined by one bad thing. We have, you know, in again, nerdy neuroscience, negative bias, our brain is literally wired to think the worst and to like the, the negative thoughts are always the loudest and the easiest. Yeah, exactly. Biologically, it's not our fault. Mm -hmm. We're not pessimists. We're literally wired that way. So knowing that alone and just being like, oh, negative bias, like I'm in a, I'm in a thing where I just need to like get through these thoughts and then it's going to be okay. Like process Mm -hmm. them. Don't repress them, process them, you know? Yeah. Well, when it's, when it is your first client or your only experience, your first couple of experiences, it is really easy to be like, this is definitive of my work. Right. Like, like, and that's such a natural experience and you shouldn't beat yourself up for that. Like you should try to work out of it, but like, of course it's like, when that is your context and that's what you've got in front of you, like, of course, that's going to feel like, well, this is what it is. This is like, I don't know why, like in every other area of my life, I'm like, I'm the worst human ever. Why, why would I even exist? I don't know why I was like, I should keep doing this when that went so poorly. I don't know, but that's, I had like some like white male energy going on where I was like, I can absolutely do this. Why not me? I don't know what was happening there. Like just dumb blindness. Well, which let's also more- call it like deeper intuition. Yeah. You like you could do it. Yeah, Look at what just, you built. Just some like actual confidence. Why not? You know, <laughs> yes. but I did like for me now, like I have a team to protect, like, yeah. like one that I employ and that I'm responsible for their paychecks. Like I cannot crumble. I need to, but also like if a client goes off on us, I have my team to protect. I'm immediately, I'm not going to, I can't spiral. I'm going to turn around and be like, your work was amazing. I stand by what you did. You are incredible. I'm going to fire them. You do not have to deal with this. You do not have to be subjected to this. I'm going to go take care of this. And again, like this is so rare. This so rarely happens, but I can't afford to sit there and spiral. Right. And then I have a kid to go take care of. I can't afford to like sit there. And, and so it does help to be like, Hmm, I don't have time to spiral. I have yeah, to put my CEO pants on and I have to take care of this shit, even if it sucks. And then I have to move on because I have other clients that are incredible that deserve yes. our best. You know what I mean? And so I do think it's like almost able to like detach a little bit and that helps. Like it does totally. help having perspective, you know? Totally. So what I'm, what I'm getting, I'm doing like bullet points in my head, understand and set your boundaries early Create an onboarding process that leaves nothing to the imagination. Uh, understand that sometimes there are going to be problematic clients that, and that's not your fault. That's not you or your work. If you delivered what was in that agreed upon onboarding contract experience, then that's all that you can do. And if you feel that those boundaries are not being respected, you are absolutely entitled to send that person on their way. You are the CEO. And the really amazing thing that started happening for me, and it sounds like it started happening for you too, Brittany, is that once I started actually saying no, I started having more and more people want Mm -hmm. to work with me. Mm -hmm. And I started getting that wait list. And Mm -hmm. it's like, wow, saying no actually freed up energy and time Mm -hmm. for much higher caliber, better fit, projects and clients that were exciting to me and made me do better work, which in turn 
you know, people then see that work and it's like, oh, who's your copywriter? Mm. And if I had said yes to every little thing that crossed my path, I would not, I literally would not have had time, energy, emotional capacity, or opportunity to do the projects that led me to Mm. creating the business that I have now. Yeah. And I think sometimes as service providers, it's really easy to almost like demonize clients, you know, get this, like, we have to have boundaries. Clients are the worst. And the reality is like, I think people want generally want to do what it is that we want them to do, but like an uncommunicated expectation is not an expectation and Mm -hmm. an uncommunicated boundary is is not a boundary. And if you have not communicated it, that is on you. They are not responsible for it. Right. So like the earlier on you communicate a boundary, even before a sales call, even before a contract is signed and an invoice is sent or whatever, like that is going to ensure a better fit for a client. Like the more you can communicate that up front, the more likely you are to be working with the right person. And the more you can tell someone how to have success in a project with you, the more they're going to be like, amazing. Thanks for letting me know that. Right. Nobody wants to be like, oh, I didn't know or I wouldn't have done that. Right. But if you don't communicate it, why wouldn't they just do this thing? Maybe they do something differently. Maybe their team has a different habit or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's like, you are responsible for communicating this thing. It's not uncomfortable. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It can kind of be uncomfortable to communicate something after the fact. And like, we still yeah. have to have those conversations, but it's actually really easy to say it up front. And yeah. you've already said it up front. And then they kind of step over that boundary, sometimes totally innocently, like they just forgot. All you have to do is just pull out the receipts. Hey, just a reminder, we went over this on the kickoff call. It's also in the contract, but it, we've gone through so many things. It's okay if you forgot, just a reminder, blah, 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 blah. So, hey, we're actually going to try this again. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, just let them know. Like they yeah. want they want to do what it, it is. It takes practice. It yeah. also takes practice too. Like I remember the first time that I ever had one of those like, sales calls where I was stating my boundaries, I was really nervous. And I felt like, kind of like, who the fuck do I think I am? And like, wow, I'm payment upfront for something they haven't even seen yet. Like, Oh, and it felt really scary. But once I did it a couple of times, it started to feel much more natural. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it attracts people who are like, yeah, of course. And it actually like, there's no resistance and people who do have resistance, you're like, that's probably not going to be something. It's kind of a bit of a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. Like, it's actually really great if someone waves that red flag in the sales call. And it's like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to save you a lot. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to save you a lot of grief. Yeah. So one last thing I would love your thoughts on before we go is, you know, you work with copywriters, you have an agency as well. What would be like, a piece of advice that you would give to someone who is thinking of working with a professional copywriter? Like what's something that they could come to you with that would help them be more successful in working with a professional? Mm, Like somebody who wants to like hire a copywriter for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think that the most successful projects, and this has kind of become like a almost a prerequisite for the clients we work with is someone who already has a successfully validated offer. Mm. I, I fully believe that you should DIY your own copy at first. Like you have to have a validated offer. You have to know that your product works. Like 
whether you're having problems at the top of the funnel, getting people in, whether, whether you're having problems like converting all of this traffic that you're getting, that's a marketing and a messaging issue. That's something your copywriter can help you with. And like what we specifically focusing on, focus on is that messaging, that messaging strategy. So like, we're going to optimize those numbers. We're going to figure out like maximum top of funnel traffic, maximum conversions at the bottom of the funnel. But I cannot work with I'm not like I cannot, but like I'm unlikely to move forward with a project unless I know you have an offer that that absolutely ensures the success that you are promising. Like we have students that are saying, like it doesn't have to be everyone. This isn't about guaranteeing what everyone's going to do because people are right. are their own people. But like we know that this product does achieve the people want can it. get yeah. the the, desi- the promised results, right? And then people are successful in it and that it is validated, right? Like I, I mean, I say this almost every single time I like open my mouth, but Seth Godin said, create products for your customers, not um, customers for your product. So like, if you're just gonna be like, I have a great idea and pull a product out of your ass and kind of like shark tank it and be like, well, no one's bought this, but like we, this would be a great idea. That's not that's not a good investment of your money. You're going to pay me a lot of money for us to be like, I don't know, maybe let's see. Like, I'm not like mad men. Let's sit in a boardroom. Let's throw out some ideas. I'm like, we're going to look at what's out there. We're going to look at your people. We're going to like take a deep dive into the research and give you literally like high charts of messaging. And we're going to put that into like maximum conversion copy. But um, so anyway, having having a validated offer, um, if you're struggling with the messaging, if you're struggling with traffic, if you're struggling with bottom of funnel conversions, if you're kind of feel like you have this Franken funnel, or maybe your, your brand has evolved, your messaging has evolved, or maybe your strategies are either a little more like templatized or old school or outdated, that's when hiring an expert would be a really, really good fit. Um, but without a validated offer, you are much better served continuing to DIY your own, your own copy until you, until you have that. I love that. Well, Brittany, this was a delight. I very much hope we get to meet and do karaoke together sometime. I will, uh, polish, take me or leave me and, uh, for good from wicked. I'll work on the high harmony. It'd be perfect. It would. Oh man. Thank you so much. This was such a, a fun energy life-giving conversation. And I know a lot of people really struggle, especially with like the boundaries and firing clients and uh, there's so much good stuff in here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really wonderful. Yay. All right, everybody. I'm Kelsey Foremost. This has been another episode of find your magic. Take care. All right, y'all know I'm about to ask you to subscribe to Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you found us today. It truly helps podcasters pay their teams, find better guests, and give you good content. So if you want to hear more conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship, be sure to subscribe to Find Your Magic and leave us a review. Thanks for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.